morning, everyone. I want to continue to teach on the fivefold ministry, but before we start that, I believe the Lord wants me to warn the church. Everybody smile. I believe I'm supposed to warn this church with this word right here. Comparison is the seed of jealousy. Did you hear me? I said comparison is the seed of jealousy. I believe I saw by the Spirit comparison giving way to offense that wanted to plague this body. Join me right now in saying we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to compare. We're plagued by comparison because we're orphans at heart and we don't know the love of the Father and we don't know what we're worth and we don't know what we're called to. And if that's you, we have a tendency to look at others and compare ourselves to them. Whether it's to make ourselves feel better or feel worse, I want to warn you about comparison. Because it's the seed of jealousy, because it grows to envy. We all have to make peace with the gifts that God has given us. Would you say amen? Now here's the harder amen. We all have to make peace with the gifts that God has not given us. We don't need any more wannabes in the church. There's a whole lot of people that want to be this and that, and they don't have grace from God to fulfill those things. It's called ambition. It's another plague. You either have what you have because God gave it to you, or you do not, and that's okay. When we talk about the fivefold ministry, when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fivefold ministry is given to some. Every gift is given to believers. All of us have some measure of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some are called to the fivefold. Everyone has access to these. And we're supposed to be pursuing these, by the way. We're not supposed to be passively waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. We're supposed to be pursuing Him and pursuing the gifts. Why? Because pursuing the gifts is a manifestation of love. Love is what causes the gifts of the Holy Spirit to begin operating in our lives. So Ben Sullivan this morning receives a tongue and he has to decide in that moment whether he loves himself or the body more. Because if he loves himself more, he'll remain silent. Let me say it another way. If you have the gift of prophecy and you don't prophesy, you're nothing but selfish. Am I preaching this morning? Are we awake today? God has given us His gifts, and if He's called you to the fivefold ministry, which, by the way, in the weeks ahead, I will teach how do I know if I'm called to the fivefold ministry? Because, like I said, some have the grace, some do not, and that's okay. We have to make peace with God about what He's called us to. We all have to be comfortable in our own assignment. Some of us are called to the business world. We're called to the marketplace. We're given gifts to make wealth. We have a mercy gift and that's why we're in nursing because the Holy Spirit gift of mercy manifests when we're treating people in the triage or in the ER. Are you with me? 
So this isn't all about, hey, let's find out who can preach and who can't or who should be talking on Sundays. We need a bigger vision for the kingdom of God, which is 365 every day of the year. This isn't a Sunday morning thing. This is an everyday thing. This is an expression of the gifts and the ministries and God the Father working in the body of Christ because He wants these things to manifest in our midst. Now before I continue and now that I've warned you, I want to further clarify something. How many of you remember me saying during the reset that this is not a change in vision? This is not a change in vision. So I don't want anyone to be confused. If you don't know, we did the unthinkable. We shut the church down for three weeks in October at the leading of the Lord. We just bet it all on God. And the things that God did during that time are immeasurable. I'm grateful for the reset. How about you? The work of the Holy Spirit through that time was amazing, but it's continuing on. So I believe that we're still in the midst of the reset. We're just meeting now. Because He's resetting us to a kingdom perspective, to a biblical perspective, because these are the things that God is wanting to restore in His church. Did you know that Jesus is actually shut up in heaven until an appointed time? That time in Acts chapter 3 is called the restoration of all things. So Jesus isn't coming back until something happens first. What's that? The restoration. What's He restoring? He's restoring the gifts of the Holy Spirit to His church. He's restoring the fivefold ministry to His church. He's restoring His own fatherhood to His people that we might not live as orphans who just think God needs another soldier in His arm and He wants me to do stuff for Him. Now we come from a place of a foundation of being loved by the Father. And because I'm loved by the Father, because He gave His Son Jesus for me, that activates me, that makes me want to make a difference for Him. Did you know Jesus has purchased your life with His blood? And because He's purchased your life with His blood, He wants His gifts. He wants His ministry. He wants His life to be made manifest through you. Jesus wants you to get to work. But if you work from a place of this is what I'm finding my identity in, this is what I'm finding my significance in. You will pervert the gifts that God has given you. So what I like to tell people is find out who you are before you find out what you're called to. Don't flip those. If you do, you're headed for shipwreck. If you're called to preach, can you live without preaching? If you're called to teach, can you live without teaching? If you're called to whatever it is, can you live without it? Is God enough is what I'm asking. Don't let me confuse you. There's work to do. There's things God wants to restore, but it has to come from a healthy place and a right foundation in our lives. We don't look at this board and go, okay, God, show me my worth and my value. No, your worth and your value is wrapped up in Him. Your life, according to Colossians 2, is hidden with Christ in God. That's where our life is. That's where our value comes from, is from Jesus Christ. Are you with me this morning? All right, so if you're with me, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. So I've warned you, comparison is the seed of jealousy. Don't do it. 
Make peace with what God has not called you to, as well as what He has called you to. We're turning to Ephesians chapter 2. We had our word of warning, and then I wanted to clarify that we didn't catch a wild hare recently. This is the further development of the vision of the church. If you look back at our FAQ on the back wall there, it asks the question, who is the pastor? And it exhorts you that we believe in team leadership. All you're seeing is the further development of that team. Who's with me? Come on. We're a little sleepy this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to start in verse 19, and while you look there, I want to tell you the truth right now. We're going to start right from the jump with a very controversial statement. How many of you know I'm controversial? Praise the Lord. I don't try to be God makes me, puts me up to this stuff. I don't sit around like, how can I offend people? It just happens. There's no, there's no grace in being offensive for the sake of being offensive. That's, that's not the heart of God. But if the truth offends, then let it cut. Let the chips fall where they may. Hallelujah. So here's the statement that you got to wrestle with because it's important for this place. If you don't grab a hold of the fivefold ministry, if you don't get a vision for what's on this board, you're never really going to become a part here. You're not going to put down roots and you're going to be lost. So this is really, really important as the further development of the church and growth and life happens. It's this. True New Testament churches can thrive without their founders. All right, we'll try this side. True New Testament churches can survive without their founders. So we're four and a half years old. You guys know the story. God sent me and Taylor to Indiana to plant our father's house. Look around. Welcome to our father's house. We've been hard at work and laboring. Now, I don't have any sense that I'm about to move somewhere, although God, please send me to Texas. Yeehaw. Hallelujah. <laughs> we're all getting sick and cold and I'm like, this doesn't happen in warmer climates. Anyway, forgive me, Lord. God sent us to Indiana, and this is where we are. This is where we've put down roots. This is where He's called us to. We're fulfilling the assignment that God has given us. Now, if this is truly going to be a New Testament church, which New Testament churches are built on Christ, Jesus is the foundation and not the personality of the pastor or whatever your language is, then New Testament churches, not just, I didn't say survive, I said thrive. They can thrive without their founder. Why? Because it's not about a person, it's about presence. And that's our journey. Isn't it hilarious that this morning we have technical difficulties and God Himself comes to challenge our paradigm for why are you here? I'm telling you, if you've been in the performance-driven church, that would have been an ultimate panic moment. The stuff isn't working that we paid a lot of money for. Who do we need to fire in order to get the show to work rightly? Oh, you don't think people get fired in churches? Oh, you better look around and wake up. Oh, it's a hireling culture. Do your job or else. There's no family. You're family until you mess up and then you get cut. And we wonder why the church is diseased. Where was I? You can thrive without your founder. I'm not, this isn't a veiled comment like I think we're leaving and I just want to let you know. I'm saying the, the journey for us is 
Can we depend upon the Lord? Can we reproduce and can we raise up healthy teams that are bearing the load, that are serving and giving and loving what God is doing here, that are knit together in a family? Because here's the challenge. How many of you have ever heard of a church... I know one brother in particular, they planted the church. He pastored it faithfully for 40 years. He dies and the church closes three weeks later. Now I'm not diminishing his work for four decades. God love him. But to me, that's a long-term fail. Because it was built on him. So when he's not around, do you know how many people come to church to hear their pastor preach? Show me that in the Bible. I told you, do you you want to be biblical? (laughs) See, the question for us is, if you want to be a New Testament church, which I assume, hopefully, that you do, since you're still sitting here, and we weren't sure whether there were going to be five or 50 or whatever, it didn't matter. But if you want to be a New Testament church, then the question is, how New Testament do you want to be? Because I find that everybody has like a tolerance level. And you keep applying the word and applying the word and practicing the Bible. And we're like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm holding on, I can't, I, oh, I can't do it anymore. Because we have our preferences. Because the truth is that we think we're smarter than God. Because we've built a whole lot of things and called them church, but they're not biblically founded. They're not really about Jesus. There's other things going on that are mixed in. So we have a challenge here. The challenge is, quite literally, to do something that we've never seen done before. I hope that instills confidence in you. People are like, where are we going? I'm like, just keep looking at Jesus. We're finding out together. (laughs) What's your vision for the church? Well, it's not the invention of something new. It's the restoration of something old. We're trying to restore New Testament pattern to the church. We're trying to say if it's in the Word, I don't care how painful it is or what it looks like or how much I disagree with it. If I disagree with the Bible, I'm wrong 100 out of 100 times. Somebody say amen to that. We want a biblical church. See, this is my experience growing up in the Spirit-filled church as we cry out for miracles and healings and salvation and deliverance and power and authority and all these wonderful things and we weep and we wail and we cry and then we see so little of it because when it comes to the church, we're busy doing our own thing. We're like, well... Give us all the stuff, but we don't really want to do it your way. Does that sound entitled? God, we'll do church our way with your influence. Nope, that's not how God works. See, I contend that we see so little, and can we be honest? We see so little of the healing and the power and the demonstrations of the Spirit that we all long for because we've not built according to the pattern. If you want New Testament results, you have to build New Testament church. That's my conviction. Are you with me this morning? All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's have some fun and see what happens. New Testament churches can thrive apart from their founders if they reproduce. Ephesians 2 verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens... But you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household. Would you say household? household? Did you know that the house of the Lord is not a place? 
we say, I'm going to the house of the Lord. We are the house of God. We are His holy household, His habitation. And I know what people mean, but you have to understand that's the influence of an old covenant mindset that says, now I'm going to go to church. When we are the church, we are the body, we are members of God's household. So if we are members of God's household together, doesn't that put an important emphasis on who I'm in community with? Doesn't it matter who I fellowship with? Doesn't it matter who we allow to be a part of this assembly and what's going on in their lives because God has standards for His believers? for His children, for His sons and His daughters, because we're His household and we're supposed to be a worthy expression of the builder and maker of the house who is God. So we're members of His house. Don't miss that. Keep reading. Verse 20, Having been built upon the what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. So I want you to understand something as we talk about the fivefold ministry. These two right here, apostles and prophets, they're distinguishable yet complementary in their ministries. Apostles and prophets are foundational. You should write that down. I want you to begin to associate words with the ministries to help you further clarify who they are and what they do. So right here on the bottom, I'm going to write it down for you. Apostles and prophets, they're foundational. We've been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So apostles and prophets have a ministry to the church, and it's to lay foundation in the church. Now, apostles and prophets are not the foundation themselves. Please hear me. Apostles and prophets are not the foundation themselves, but who they reveal, Jesus Christ, He is the foundation and the cornerstone of His church. If Jesus being the cornerstone doesn't excite you, you don't understand it. Because the concept of the cornerstone is so powerful because in the construction of a building, everything gets laid in reference to the cornerstone. So if Jesus is the cornerstone of His church, if He's the starting point, the origin, the essence, the source of life and grace, then we get laid in relationship to Jesus who's the cornerstone. But if He's not the cornerstone and we make something else or someone else the foundation of the church, then it will not stand the test of time. Now do you already see more clearly that New Testament churches where Christ is the foundation, they can thrive apart from their founders if they reproduce. So here's what I've recognized from day one of this church plant, that I am naturally a threat to it. As nobody talks like this. You have people that they plant a church and it's their baby and they can't let it go and everyone has to serve my vision and you all, like, I'm trying to work myself out of a job. Trying to say, hey, here you go. Here, you do it. You, you preach. You pray. You prophesy. You get raised up in God. You get filled with faith. You make a difference in your sphere of influence because that's the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus reproduced Himself in His disciples who then reproduced Jesus inside of others and they took the world over. Yeah, 
We want to take this region over for Jesus because we're reproducing Christ in others and we're leaving a legacy and a heritage of faith in Christ, not in I love my church so much. And I hope you love what God is doing here. But understand me, if it's not about Jesus and it's about our own preferences or what we like and don't like, then we're already removing Christ as the cornerstone and putting something else in. For many people, their cornerstone is how much they like the preaching or the preacher or the music, and that's how shallow we are. So you want to be a New Testament church? How New Testament do you want to be? I recognize this is going to challenge and shake and rattle and roll us all. But at the end of the day, I think often about standing before Jesus and having to explain to him why we did things the way we did them. Because you know he's going to judge the thoughts and motives and intentions of our hearts. And I have a deep conviction that we're not allowed to make stuff up in the church. We're not allowed to just create things and name them cute little ministry or titles and positions when they're not in the Word. We have a whole lot of that. It's what I call church culture. It's the fake, the counterfeit for what is real. So apostles are foundational. Prophets are foundational. They're foundational because the essence of their ministry is to reveal Christ Jesus. So that's the other word I want you to write down is revelational. Foundation and revelation. You should think about apostles and prophets in this way. They're foundational and they carry revelation. What are they revealing? Christ. What's their message? Christ. They're foundational in the Lord's body having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Did you know the most important things in a house are what you can't see? Would you rather have a hole in your drywall or a hole in your foundation? Well, you can see the hole in the drywall. This is a lot of what we do. Cosmetics. What we can see. What looks good. What sounds good. What feels good. And God has graced apostles and prophets to lay the foundation of Christ Jesus in the church so that it's about Him and not something else or someone else. Are you with me this morning? All right, let's keep going. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So every person, every marriage, and every church is only as healthy and strong as its foundation. The foundation's not exciting. We want what is exciting, and we like to skip over what is essential. This is how we've discipled people in the West, by the way. We get someone who wants to give their life to Jesus and we start taking them to all the exciting things. Here's how Jesus is going to make your life exciting. And then they go through suffering and hardship and testing and they fall away because there's not a foundation that gets laid in their life. We should be challenging people in true discipleship. This is going to cost you everything. 
Jesus purchased you and He is your Lord and your Master, your Savior. You've been ransomed with a price and now you're going to pray crazy prayers like, God, not my will, but your will be done. And you're going to actually mean it. So you might have to live somewhere you don't want to live. Hello? You might have to do things you don't want to do. You might have to get busy doing the work of the kingdom rather than trying to advance your own needs and gain. Because you're a disciple of Jesus, because you're ruled by Him. Sin is no longer master over you. You don't do the things that please you. You yield your body as a member of righteousness and say, God, do your will through my life. Are we having fun? I want to keep asking you, how New Testament do you want to be? Talk to me about what's exciting. There's plenty of exciting things in the kingdom. There's plenty of thrilling and invigorating and life-giving things. It's all life-giving, but we have to make sure that our appetites aren't off and we're just asking for candy all the time. Give me something sweet and then we end up with diabetes or we end up with something that plagues us in our body as a spiritual... Somebody say amen. Come on, help me, Lord. Rebuke the candy cane spirit this Christmas. Peppermints get away from me. So the whole building is fit together. Now I want to show you what I believe is the difference between being fitted and built together and being gathered together. This is a gathering of the saints. This is a lot of what we love to do. Let's gather together. Let's rub shoulders. Let's have some fun. Bump in. Maybe we'll fall down on top of each other. Just make sure you get up, all right? And we had a gathering. It was wonderful. But the Word of God doesn't say gather together. It doesn't say that God wants us to gather together. It says what? He wants us to be built together. He wants us to be fitted together. So the mortar between those bricks is the love of God. And this is how Jesus lays foundation. This is how Jesus builds His church. Now you couldn't get a squad of cheerleaders to show up and get excited about what you're looking at. Yeah, oh, that was enough. What a great stroke. That was so even. This wall's beautiful. We're like, talk to me about the color of the paint and how we're going to design the kitchen. And... We, again, surface. But these are foundational things. So God is building us together. He's putting us in relationship with each other. Did you know that this is going to cause you to bear your heart and your soul with other believers? Oh, but we like this. You have people that, you, they, start, they start to feel this and they go, uh, I think I'll rewind. You have people that spend their entire lives, their Christian existence going like this. Oh, we're getting close. And we'll go back to that. Yeah. Oh, getting close again. Feel, uh, I think we'll go back to that. Because this is convenient. This is out of conviction. This is church culture. This is kingdom culture. We get fitted and built together. We learn how to love. You know what we do, though, in America? I'll just find another pile of bricks. I'm offended. 
I don't like you. I don't like what you said. I could learn how to love. We could get fit together. I think I'll go find another pile of bricks. Church discipline doesn't exist anymore. You know why? We'll just go back to a different pile of bricks. I'll just go find somewhere else to run and hide all my character deficiencies. Because here's the greatest problem in the church in this hour, I believe. We don't know what to do with people who don't want to change. We have no idea. What do we do? They don't, they don't really want to follow Jesus. They're not really wanting to lay down their life and give up everything for Him. But man, they want to touch they want the benefits of being in a relationship with God without the sacrifice and obedience He requires. What do we do? We don't know. God's given us commandments in His Word, but we're like, oh, that's, that's too harsh. We think we're smarter than God. Lord, we can't do it Your way. What will people think? No, what will God think? You're not going to stand in judgment before Jesus with anyone else, next to anyone else, with anyone making excuses for you. Time for God to restore the fear of the Lord in His church. If you don't think about standing before Jesus on a regular basis, you might not be a true disciple. I mean that with the force that I just said it with. It's time to grow up. The whole building is fit together by that which every joint supplies. Keep reading. Verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, for the sake of who? The Gentiles, for the sake of someone else. If indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Grace is given to you for who? Others. You got to note this. This is the nature of grace. It's to benefit others. When we turn God's grace into how does this benefit me, you will not operate in the gifts of God. You know, prophesying to people, stepping out in faith, interpreting tongues or leading or serving, it's going to require a death to self. Had somebody tell me once, if you want to be liked, don't be a leader. Signing up for leadership is like signing up for criticism and betrayal and offense. And you know what? I just take a whole lot of heart and I'm sure we're making a lot of mistakes, but we're doing the best we can with what we know. We're walking in humility. And then thirdly, Jesus was a perfect leader and he got betrayed. Amen. Jesus led perfectly and got crucified for it. So all our little leadership books that point to health and wealth and prosperity, I have a big question mark about it all. Why don't our leadership books point to the cross of Christ? Here's how you die that life might be manifested in other people. Because that grace, those gifts were given to you to benefit someone else. But you can turn and utilize the gifts that God has given you for your own gain, for your own benefit, for your own advancement, for your own influence. And subtly you can start pointing people to yourself. It's a dangerous thing. The devil will help you do it. If indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by what? Revelation? Did you say revelation? 
Third word of verse 3, that by revelation, there's that word again, apostles and prophets, foundation and revelation, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, and by referring to this, when you read you can understand my insight into the mystery of what? The mystery of Christ. So before we turn apostles and prophets into little fortune tellers, little cookie cutter here, I got a mystery, can you tell me this Christian riddle? We're talking about revealing Jesus Christ. First and foremost, apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus Himself is the mystery. So when you get under the anointing or you're around the teaching of apostles and prophets, Christ should be revealed to you in a unique way that provokes you to hunger and long for more of Him. That causes you to see Him more clearly where when worship is going on and there's challenges or there's distractions, you have the maturity to say, no, I'm pressing into Jesus because He's worthy. I'm telling you, worship in different congregations and places is one of the quickest ways to measure the maturity of a church. Can people see Jesus or not? Is it about the worthiness and the presence of Christ or is it about something else? It's a measure of our maturity because it's about our vision. So when Christ is revealed, we see Him and what do we do? We worship. You can't see Jesus and not worship. You can't see the beauty and the majesty and the glory and the holiness and the righteousness and the mercy and the grace and truth of Jesus and not worship. They told us, hey, you, you can't plan a church and worship that long. You can't plan a church with two-hour services. We said, how about three? Because we're not trying to plant some successful, well, look what we did. No, this is for Jesus. This is to give an account for your soul. Verse 4, you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations, verse 5, was not made known to the sons of men. It has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So there's apostles and prophets working together again. Apostles and prophets have distinguishable yet complementary ministries. Apostles and prophets labor together in tandem the way that shepherds and teachers labor together in tandem. Apostles and prophets are foundational. Shepherds and teachers build upon the foundation that is laid. Alright, two of us, you're with me. Praise the Lord. Verse 6. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of His power. So we must understand the nature of grace is for others. It's to benefit others. That apostles and prophets are foundational ministries to lay and reveal the person of Christ in the church so that it's about Him and His glory and His splendor and nothing else because apostles and prophets reveal Christ who is the foundation. Are you with me? 
You'll listen to the ministry of a prophet or an apostle and they'll say things like, we've got to get back to our roots. We need to go back to the foundation. It's back to the basics. They can't hardly get off a home base because it's all they see and hear from the Lord who's motivating them and inspiring them. Hey, don't forget about me. The church is busy with all their activities and those are good things, but don't forget about me because you can have programs without presence. All right, let's talk about the fivefold ministry and then we'll, we'll land the plane. Bill Johnson said every preacher gets three closings until they're a liar. So there's my first one. I want to make a couple of distinctions when we talk about the five ministries. These are in Ephesians 4.11. If this is your first week, it says, He gave some, He being Jesus, these five ministries to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the building up, all those things. There's five ministries, five missions, and five results. You can see previous teachings or grab the notes in the back. But these five ministries are given. And now, there's an inherent confusion when it comes to the ministry of apostles. Why? Because there's no verb form for us in English. So let me make this simple. We kind of get what teachers do, because what do they do? This is not a, a, a pop quiz that you're going to fail. What do shepherds do? What do evangelists do? What do prophets do? What do apostles do? We don't know. Apostolize. So we have all this confusion because we don't know the verb form. But now let me make a couple of distinctions about apostles and prophets today. When we say apostles, we're talking about fivefold ministry apostles that are ascension gift ministries to the church. So when Jesus is crucified and he resurrects and then he ascends, it's to fill the earth with himself. And he was apostolic in his ministry. Hebrews 3.1 calls him the apostle of our confession. And he gives fivefold apostles to the church. We're not talking about the twelve apostles of the Lamb. We're not talking about those 12 because those 12 are in a category all their own. In Revelation 21 verse 14, their 12 names are written on the foundation stones in New Jerusalem. They are the apostles of the Lamb. The fivefold ministry apostles, they're not written on the foundation stones in Jerusalem. Jesus didn't in the flesh, God incarnate, choose them and call them to himself. Are you with me? That's an important distinction. So when we talk about apostles, people are like, they're dead. You're like, yeah, the twelve are dead. The same spirit that was in them is alive today. Hello. Now I want to distinguish prophets as well, because when we talk about prophets... We get Ezekiel and Jeremiah and we get all these crazy ideas going on. You need to understand that the nature of prophetic ministry has changed in the new covenant. So in the old covenant, they would mediate on behalf of God with kings or with nations. That's why people cry out like, where are the Jeremiahs and Ezekiel? I'm like, they're, they're dead. This isn't the old covenant. Now we live under the new covenant and God by his spirit has given some as prophets. These fivefold prophets are not Old Testament type prophets. 
They're ascension gift prophets to the church. Now, much of the nature or the essence, the emphasis is the same, but prophetic ministry is different. Even the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14.3 is given for edification, exhortation, and comfort. So it's to build you up, to encourage you, and strengthen you in weak places. Are you still with me? All right, I'm glad we made those distinctions. I think they're important. But we have inherent confusion about the nature of apostolic ministry because we don't have a verb for it. Now, if you'll give me some time in the weeks and months ahead, I promise the effort is to make this clear. I believe that clarity is the fruit. Sorry, unity is the fruit of clarity. So we lack unity in the body because we don't have clarity because we don't even know what we're talking about. So our goal and our endeavor here is to have unity over these things, but we need clarity first. So if you are confused and you do not understand, Paul, what in the world are you talking about? Come up here and let's talk or call me on the phone or send an email. We want you to understand because this is not a new vision. This is not an aberration. This is the destiny of this church birthed by God. To be a five-fold house. To be a house where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. To be a house where we're knit and built together in love. And we're really a family. So we have this confusion. Now let me bring some distinction, okay? You guys remember my A's? We put up all the A verbs about apostles. I'm going to give you some B's now. Apostles build. Apostles are builders in the church. Foundation layers. Prophets bother. That's not a negative connotation. We're not talking about personality. We're talking about grace. If you get around prophets, there's an agitating thing that happens. When they feel like you're sleeping, they're going to go, wake up. They bother. What do evangelists do? They beseech. What's it mean to beseech? It means to earnestly plea, to beg. What are they begging? What are they beseeching? Give your life to Jesus right now. Don't you know that He's Lord and Savior? Don't you know that if you, if you died today, do you know where you'd go? That's the ministry of an evangelist beseeching you. Shepherds, bandage. They bind up the wounds of the people. Guys, all of these are necessary. All of these are good. All of these are healthy. What do you think teachers do? That's good, Hoot. Teachers do teach. <laughs> Check them out at hootgibson.com. <laughs> he's, he's, he's got it right, 100%. Teachers do teach. What do you think teachers do? They balance. Teachers bring a balancing. You start teaching, you start teaching grace in an extravagant, profound, wonderful, beautiful way, and the teachers start going, Where's the truth? We've got to have the truth. We've got to have them both. You start teaching love, and they're like, Hey, what, what about righteousness? Or you start teaching holiness, they're like, Hey, God's, he calls us friend, and you start to feel that tension because we can't fully encapsulate God just in one word or in one message. Please write this down. 
any truth overemphasized is eventually a falsehood. Any truth, no matter what it is, overemphasized eventually becomes a falsehood. We need balance in the body. We need these things held in tension. I'll say plainly, the American church is drunk on false grace. Is drunk on a message of grace that enables them to continue in their sin. The nature of grace calls you higher. Grace is inherently the power to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. When grace is active in your life, you live holy. All right. Listen to the recording. All right, let's do a C here. Apostles. Apostles construct. Again, they're builders. They're foundation layers. Prophets challenge. And a close runner-up would be cleanse. Prophetic people have a burden for what is pure, what is righteous, but they bring a challenging word. Evangelists, what do you think they do? That's good. Call. Come on. You guys are asleep this morning. Give me some guesses. Chicken noodle soup. It starts with a C. What do evangelists do? See, we're wrestling. This is good. There's no right. These are generalizations, but it's important that we grasp what the essence and the nature of their ministry. I put. I chose compel. Your answers are great. You all get a B. Which C equals degree, by the way. No, no one cares what grade you got in your. No, never. Anyway, God bless you. <laughs> I had senioritis. I'm, I was already working full time. I'm like, ah, whatever. Shepherds, they care. Caring. Tender, kind, shepherds will cry with you because Jesus cries with the wounds of his people. Teachers clarify. How are we doing? All right, last thing. This is my second closing. I'm not yet a liar. I want to talk about the scope and the sphere of each of the ministries. So when it comes to the fivefold ministry, they're either mobilized or localized. And this is important because this is how we can recognize them. Now, a general comment about the fivefold ministry that's important for us to grasp is this. For the sake of teaching, if there were like 10 marks of being a prophet, you would have to have like 8 or 9 or 10 out of 10. We're not talking about 2 or 3. This is where the confusion comes in because somebody prophesies and we go, well, they're a prophet. Not necessarily. They could have the gift of prophecy. Someone feels compassion for the hurting and they want to care, but they've got a gift of mercy. They're not a five-fold shepherd. And I'm not trying to put anybody in their place. I'm trying to help the body function properly.
There has to be a super abundance of God's grace upon someone's life where it's evident not to them but to everyone around them. Hey, this is you. The ministry of Jesus is flooding out of your pores because this is His grace on your life. Are you with me? So we're not talking about one or two. We're talking about a heavy expression, a tangible manifestation of the ministry of Christ. So the sphere of influence, whether they're mobilized or localized, Apostles are mobilized. I'll write it down for you. Apostles are mobilized. What does this mean? It means that if you look at the New Testament, the nature of apostolic ministry is always moving. They may be in a position or a location. We know that Paul was in Ephesus for three years. He was in Corinth for maybe 18 months. He was in other places for three months. Guys, did you know that churches were started that Paul actually never even visited that city in the New Testament record? Crazy. But he was mobilized. He was carrying a message. He was laying the foundation of Christ in different regions. Because why? Because he was sent by God to build the house of the Lord and to raise up an army to equip the saints and to take over the region for Jesus, for gospel influence. So apostles are mobilized in the scope of their ministry. They may be localized for a time on assignment by the Lord to plant a church, to raise up teams. But even Paul had to leave and he writes to his son Titus and he says, I want you to set in the things that remain. He's telling him, we had work to do, I had to go on, but you as my apostolic son, you're going to finish laying the foundation. Make sure that you see to it that you set in elders in every city and another place as every town. Every city and every town, elders are given to shepherd and care for the flock of God because God wants His people's wounds treated. Because God wants His people cared for. Because God wants when you have a baby for you to be congratulated and you to have a meal train because that's the heart of God. Because Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then ministers to them. Hello. Somebody say amen for food. Jeez. You're like, we know, Paul, we're hungry and it's lunchtime. Prophets, are they mobilized or localized? This is both. Some prophets are mobilized, some are more local prophets. Some have a legitimate fivefold prophetic ministry, but they're localized and they're a part of one body. And many times they become a very accurate, very revelatory word of the Lord to the house. It, God speaks to them and they carry that weight. They bring that prophetic grace to that expression of the body. Now they might have a different sphere of influence and they may be, they could be not only local, they could be regional, they could be national, they could have an international or global sphere where they're traveling or they could be localized. So it's both. Are you with me? Evangelists are both. Evangelists can be localized. Evangelists can be mobilized. You could have a local evangelist. He's localized. She's localized in her sphere and she is sent by God to win souls for Jesus and plug them into her local church. She's a local evangelist. Now, Billy Graham was a mobilized evangelist. Reinhard Bonnke was mobilized. He was having crusades and there were thousands upon thousands, maybe millions at some times that were won to Jesus through the message of the gospel. 
But he didn't sit around and say, well, how, how are we going to plant these churches? He said, we're going to go keep sharing the gospel. Because evangelism was burning in him. So all apostles are evangelists. Not all evangelists are apostles. Shepherds are localized. Teachers are localized. This is the scope and the sphere. This is how we identify grace. So again, these ministries are distinguishable, yet they're complementary. These ministries are distinguishable, yet complementary. Apostles and prophets lay foundation and reveal Christ to the church. Shepherds and teachers build upon the foundation that gets laid so that the body grows up to full maturity. Hello. I hope this is insightful and clarifying for you. We feel it's necessary to teach this. Now I'm going to finish where I started. Comparison is the seed of jealousy. Don't wake up and try to, I mean, I got to try to be something. Pursue Jesus. Let his grace just flourish in your life. Amen. Don't say, God, bless me. Say, God, make me a blessing. Yeah. I want to be a blessing to all those around me. I want to bring Christ. Now, here's the deal. We have a tendency to say, oh, I can't see myself in the fivefold ministry. I don't know. The point is to get you equipped to do the work, to be prophesying, to be teaching, to be sharing the word, to be learning, to activate in the gifts of the spirit. This isn't so we can sit back and say, that's nice. I'm not part of the fivefold ministry. You guys, you just get to work. I'll cheer you on. I'll write my tithe check. Not no, because in the kingdom, everyone's activated. Everyone's equipped. Everyone's in the game. Everyone has a part to play. The body is fitted together, Ephesians 4, 16, by that which every joint supplies. So it's not just about the fivefold ministry functioning. It's about everybody together seeing their part, finding their place, getting in their lane and staying in their lane. Will you stand with me? And if you want to come up here and take a picture of this, you're welcome to do that after the service. If you have a question, please come forward. We'd love to talk with you. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, thank you for the privilege of your presence. God, I thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. Jesus, that you might be rightly seen in the earth and in this church. Father, would you lay a healthy foundation in this place? Lord, I'm asking that you would be revealed to every heart, that we would see and understand and know your divine purpose for us as individuals, as marriages and families, Lord. I pray for health, for unity, that we would band together to see you glorified, that something healthy might be raised up in this region, God, we pray, Lord, for power, for influence, for authority, for grace to flood and flow in this house, Lord, that you would use our Father's house like a blueprint, Lord, like an example that you're shifting things, that you're turning the tide in your church, that you're restoring yourself, your ministries, your gifts to your body, Lord. Would you do it here? That we might not have just a theory, but that it might be reality in our midst. Teach us to love and honor one another afresh. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.